Good morning to all those that are here with us this morning. So thankful and grateful for your presence. We're so thankful for those that are visiting with us and glad that you have come to be with us this morning as well. We hope and pray that everything that we say or do is in accordance to God's holy word, especially the New Testament as we practice those principles under the law in which we live today. Those that might be looking for a church home, we we want to say that you found it already. We hope that you'll come and be with us and join hands with us as we spread the gospel throughout this area and throughout the world as well. I want to begin by thanking Brother Mark Bernhardt and Brother Van Stewart also for taking my place last week while we were out on vacation. It's always good to be back home and thank you for your prayers. And, and uh, I know that uh, Mark and Van did a, a good job and we're appreciative of them and their ability to be able to stand in when uh, I am out of town altogether. And again, thank you. For all have sinned and come short to the glory of God, Romans 3.23. Everybody sins. But the Christian has a unique place to turn. To turn to that which will take him past that sin and on to forgiveness. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that God saw fit even before the foundation of the world where mankind could be saved from their sins when he would then eventually create man on the sixth day and then in Genesis chapter 3 when man sinned. They had a redeemer. We have a redeemer. But did you know that the devil tempts you to sin by suggesting to you that you can get away with it? Nobody knows. If you hide it well, nobody will know. Oh, but God will know, and the devil won't tell you that. Oh, you can get away with it. And then after tempting you to sin, he spends his time accusing you with the very fact that you'll never get away with it. What do we do? He wants you down. He wants you discouraged, thinking that you'll never be able to get back up again. But the Bible tells us how to get back up after we've been knocked down. David the writer of this particular psalm, understands fully what it means to be knocked down, but also how to get back up, dust himself off, and go on, knowing that the Lord is on his side. He committed a sin with Bathsheba. And then while trying to cover up his first sin, he compounded his problem by committing murder. No, he didn't do it himself. But in essence, he did it himself. When he put Uriah the Hittite in the front of the battle, 
to ensure that he would not and could not alive. He might as well drove the stake, shot the first shot, took the bow and the arrow, whatever it would have taken. But it was only after that he was confronted with his sin that David repented. And this is the psalm that he wrote for you and me. The psalm of the penitent. That psalm that expresses the heart-filled need of a believer to be right with God. The capability of sin in us as saints. Number one. You know, after you obeyed the gospel, being saved, it doesn't mean that you lose the capacity to sin. It just means that you might be less likely to sin because you have the Lord as your Savior. And if you're diligent in your studies of God's Word and you continue therein, walking in the light as He is in the light, of course, then you're less likely to sin. Doesn't mean you won't sin. Doesn't mean you lose the capacity to sin, but you're less likely to sin. You're, in essence, trying to get out of the sinning business. Because you put off that old man. You put on that new man. And now you are a new person. A new creature in Christ. We are all sinners. And we never completely overcome our sin nature as man as long as we're still here on this earth. Listen to 1 John verse, or chapter 1, verse 8. And here John reminds us that if we think that we have defeated all sin in our lives, he says we're deceiving ourselves. Notice what he says. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And then he tells us that we're liars. And the truth is not in us. But many times, sin in the saint is an unexpected opportunity from an undetective weakness within our lives. The sin can take away our salvation, knocking us down spiritually and emotionally. That sin brings along with it suffering, sorrow, sickness. Your eternal security doesn't offer you protection from temptation. How do I know that? I read in Matthew 4 and Luke 4 about a man who was perfect in all ways, who was tempted by Satan. And the very three avenues that Satan tempts us, with the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life, Jesus had to endure that temptation, but he overcame. He bounced back from what Satan wanted to do, and that was to tear him away from his heavenly father. That's all Satan wants to do from us, is just to tear us away from our heavenly father. We will be tempted to sin, but it is the yielding to sin that gets us into trouble, isn't it? 
is when we act on it, on that temptation. Oh, thinking, oh, we might get away with it. And then Satan turns around and says, you'll never get away with it. As long as you and I live on this planet Earth, we will be capable of sinning because the devil is relentless in tempting us in every way. Now, he might tempt you in a different way he tempts them. He might tempt them in a whole totally different way that he tempts them or them. He knows where you're the most vulnerable. He knows what door to push, what chain to rattle, and what button to push to get you to yield to that sin with that temptation. But what are the consequences? When David wrote Psalm 51, he began with these words, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. David knew that sin had consequences. And those consequences were taking a toll on his life. Number one, we realize that sin soils the soul. The first thing that sin does in the life of a child of God is to soil his soul. David asked God to wash him because he he felt dirty. He wasn't dirty on the outside, but on the inside he felt dirty because of sin. If you're a Christian, sin will make you feel dirty. Now, if you don't belong to the Lord, sin doesn't really bother you at all. And if it does eventually, oh, that's good. Maybe you will take the preparations, the the steps to rectifying that. If you rebuke a non-Christian for taking the Lord's name in vain, he'll say, well, what's wrong with that? You see, mankind has tried to minimize sin to the point that we don't call sin, sin anymore. It's like a pig in a mire. Sin comes naturally to them. He'll leap into sin and love it. But the Christian, the child of God, he loathes being dirty with sin. And he doesn't like it. And he wants to be cleansed. Wants to make it right. That's why David asked God to cleanse him. Because sin soils the soul. But sin saturates the mind. That's what sin does. Notice what David says in verse 3 of our text. He says, For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is what? Ever before me. It's like right there. Night and day. The evil thing that David had done echoed through his conscience. He could not get rid of it. It was staring him in the face. It had left a wound in his mind. 
And the Holy Spirit was there to remind him of his sin and his need for forgiveness. Again, there is a difference between a child of God and a child of Satan. A non-believer can sin and forget about it. But the believer will have that sin rattling around in his subconscious. If your conscience hasn't been seared to the point that you don't worry about it no more. But it should show up. It should give you the inability to concentrate or the inability to pray or as an irritable temper. Why? Because the sin is ever before you. I think there are two kinds of wounds that come to the human psyche. And one is guilt. And the other one is sorrow. Preacher friend recently dealt with a Christian woman whose Christian husband had passed away. and She was wounded with sorrow. It was a deep wound, but it was clean. It will heal. He has also dealt with a man who has done his wife a grave wrong and the guilt of his sin had created a, a dirty wound that I believe will fester until it is cleansed. That man will continue to have that sin ever before him until he deals with it before God. So sin not only soils the soul, not only does it saturate the mind, but sin stings the conscience. Look at verse 4. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. Was David conscience stricken? I would say so. It was ever before him, he said. He cries out against the sin, knowing that he's done evil before a holy God. You see, David not only sinned against his family and his people, but against God. And David saw that his sin was an affront to a holy God who loved him and had redeemed him. If you are merely afraid of the punishment for your sin, you had better carefully consider your salvation. As a child of God, you don't just weep over your sin because you are going to be punished, but because you have disgraced God. That's the difference between a slave and a son. A slave fears the master's lash. A son fears the father's display. When we sin against God, we break his heart, and that should bother us to no end, to get it cleansed. Sin saddens the heart. Look at verse 8. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Go on down to verse 12. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. David does not have to have his salvation restored. Instead, he asks for his joy to be restored. For sin saps 
us of our joy. If you fall into sin, you will be miserable. And most miserable people will bring others down with them because misery loves company. The most unhappy man on earth is not the unsaved sinner. He's living it up. He's having a ball. He's enjoying the pleasure of sin. But the child of God, if you will, who is out of fellowship due to his sin, is truly miserable. When you become a Christian, you were not changed so that you can no longer sin. But you were changed so that you can no longer enjoy it as you used to. If you want to know if someone is a backslider, just look at his joy. Does he have a joy in his heart? If not, then you can say he has sin in his life. Christians, New Testament Christians, are to have joy at all times. The fruit of the Spirit includes joy, Galatians 5.22. We are to rejoice in the Lord always and again rejoice. Even during the tough times, Philippians 4.4. Joy is the emotion expressed by the ones who found the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, Luke 15, 7, 9, and 20. Joy does best in difficult circumstances. 1 Peter 4, Matthew 5, Acts 5. Jesus endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. Hebrews 12, 2. Short-term happiness may depend on what happens, but true joy depends on Jesus. Our joy doesn't disappear when bad things happen because our joy does not depend on things. We don't lose our joy over an ungodly government because the government doesn't give us joy. We have joy because sin has been taken away. It's been cleansed. It's been washed away. His joy won't take away all of our pain in this life, but it will help us to endure it. We have joy because our sin has been taken away. The joy is missing from our life. That's because something has gotten in the way of your relationship with Jesus as Christ. But I want you to notice something else. Sin sickens the body. Look at verse 8 again. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. David doesn't mean that the Lord literally broke his bones, but rather that he is crushed in his spirit. I, I know people that, who have been crushed by their sin to the point of actually being sick. As a Christian, the pressure of sin can sicken the body. It can bother you so much until you get it taken care of. Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 30 reminded the believers who were to partake of the Lord's table in a cavalier manner could become sick. That's what sin can do in your life. 
without your joy, without the peace that, that comes from being close to God, you could just become sick. You cannot experience the joy that the Lord of the Lord if you're walking away from God. But I want you to notice in verse 10 how the sin sours the spirit. He says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. David had a wrong spirit, wrong attitude. I've seen that in backslidden Christians. You know, the most sour, cantankerous people I've ever met are those who backslide. They, they want to get away with it, but they don't want you to bring it up. They are miserable on the inside, so they try to push their misery off to others. They're usually the most critical people in the church, finding fault with everything. A perfect example can be found in David's response to Nathan, who, who raised his awareness of his sin in 2 Samuel 12, 1-7. But Nathan, as the prophet, he came to David and told the story of a, of a poor man with a, with a little ewe lamb, a pet lamb, that was like his only child, even eating from his table. Next door was a very rich man who had hundreds of sheep. But when a stranger came by, the rich man, instead of picking out one of the best sheep, he goes over to the poor man's house and gets his little ewe lamb, his pet lamb, and had it killed and he fed it to that stranger. What should happen? I can see David now in rage. He jumps from his throne. He clinches his fist. He orders the rich man to pay fourfold. And then Nathan springs his trap. And he says, but David, you are the man. You're the one. Bathsheba was the lamb that was stolen. David was angry because his sin has made his spirit sour. He was quick to judge the small sin in the lives of others because he carried a great sin on his own shoulders. And so sin sours the spirit and makes us critical, judgmental people. But number next, sin seals the lips. As you read through Psalm 51, I encourage you to read this, read it many times. But you'll notice how David talks about what his life will be like after he is right with God. When I get right, I'll be a soul winner, David says. When I get right, I'll be a singer. He had sin in his life, so he was unable to sing. Sin stops singing. It withers our praise and it stops the soul winning entirely. Sin shuts our mouths so that we can't express the good news. The devil comes along and he says, Who are you to be singing about the joy of the Lord? You don't have any joy in your life. Who are you to be testifying to others about what God has done? You're a miserable sinner who's not even sure he's saved. One of the names for Satan is the accuser. And that's exactly what he does. And he will try to intimidate you and keep you down. Your sin will seal 
you up your lips so that you will not feel like saying anything to anybody about God because hopefully your conscience is bothering. What's the comeback? He finally getting to the main point. Here's the comeback to the saint, to you and I. Even though you fall into sin, you can come back. There was once again, you can draw close to God. There are three wonderful things that we ought to keep in mind. First, have the confidence to realize that God still loves you. David prayed to the Lord, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. David had confidence in his God. He knew that for a multitude of sins, God offers a multitude of, of tender mercies. The devil will tell you that God is finished with you, that he's left you out here alone, that there's no hope for a sinner like you. But that's a lie. And Satan is the father of lies. There's nothing you can do to make God stop loving you. No matter what you've done, how you've done it, when you did it, and why you did it. It doesn't matter how many times you failed. God still loves you and wants to be in a right relationship with you. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men might count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. 2 Peter 3.9 As long as you have a breath to breathe, there is still hope. Then secondly, confess your sin to God. David admits that he had sinned against God alone. And that God is justified in judging him. He doesn't merely admit his sin. He confesses his guilt. God doesn't want an excuse or an alibi. But Lord, you've got to understand what I'm going through. He understands wholeheartedly. But it's not an excuse. It's not an alibi. And it won't help you. God wants us to say, I'm guilty. I'm the one. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Go to God about it. You got a problem? Go to God. I say this to people all the time. When you're about to yield to that temptation to sin, break out into prayer and ask God to help you overcome it. And if you pray long enough and hard enough, the temptation kind of goes away. Go to God. Ask God to purge you of that sin. Confess your sin if you want to be right with Him. Then third, allow God to cleanse you. David writes in verse 7, notice, he says, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Cleanse me. Blot out my sin so that it's gone forever, he says. Buried in the grave of God's forgetfulness. 
The prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 1 and verse 18 writes a very similar statement when he says, Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. God removes both the penalty and the pollution of our sin. He takes the filth away. He makes us pure once again. The blood of Jesus continues to cleanse us from every sin, 1 John 1, 7. If only we will walk in the light as he is in the light. We have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us. Continual action of cleaning us from all sin. We no longer have to go around with a load of guilt. We no longer have to carry around our condemnation. We no longer have to listen to the accuser. James tells us, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. So resist the devil. Why? Because we have been made new. And we can come back from being far away from God. And as his loved child, we can be close to him once more. You might be here as a child of God, wandered off. It can happen. Again, we can still sin. We're still tempted to sin, but it's that yielding to sin that gets us into trouble. Let's not yield. Let's yield away from it. And make things right before God today. Because tomorrow may never come. They say that hurricane's going to be here Wednesday. Are you prepared? I hope so. Because we know it's coming. But you don't know when the Lord's coming. Are you prepared? The time is now. The door will be closed. And it will be too late. Make things right with God today. Today is the day of salvation. Tomorrow may be too late. We're going to sing a song of encouragement, number 523. Today is the day of salvation. You might be here as a child of God and want to make things right. Repent of that sin. Pray that God will forgive you. We'll pray with you and for you. You might be here and not a child of God. The time is now. It's the accepted time to make things right with the Lord today. Again, tomorrow may not come. There's urgency in making it right now today by hearing the word of God having faith and believing that Jesus is the Christ the son of the living God by repenting of that sin making that good confession that he is the son of God that he came to this earth to live and to die for you personally and then be baptized in that watery grave to have those sins washed away to rise, to walk in newness of life, a child of God. We hope that we can help you, but you have to come forward, express your desire. We'll take your confession. We'll do whatever we can to help you in every way, but don't put off tomorrow what you can do because there might not be. Again, listen to the words of the song as we stick it.